Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory. This is episode 37. It's called The Benevolent Dictatorship and Other Controversies. Controversial subjects in NASCAR have been going on for a very long time. (laughs) And we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the cause for debate about the older ones, as well as a lot more that's happening currently as well just to, uh, to bring that relevancy here to some of the recent things that are transpiring in the sport. But racing is a sport that has always fueled, you know, emotions and passion. Uh, and with that controversy, you know, is, um, you know, you're going to have, I guess it's inevitable. I mean, when you have that kind of controversy, you know, it's uh, inevitable that you're going to have a, a debate on what you feel is right or what you feel is wrong and what you feel like is even acceptable. But that's true of a lot of sports. You know, in the early days, back in, I think, 1961, you know, obviously Bill France Sr., who really was the founder of NASCAR, he was, you know, bound and determined that they were going to do things his way. And he ruled with an iron fist. At the time, in the early 60s, you had some prominent figures like you do now, Curtis Turner being one of them. And he was kind of like the golden boy, you know, and kind of like had a lot of say and a lot of the drivers, I think, looked up to him and, and his thoughts on things. And in 61, Curtis Turner and Tim Flock, they were banned for life uh, for attempting to unionize the drivers. And I knew Tim and I had spoke to Tim about this a long, long time ago when I first came back here. And, you know, Curtis, I think, was still. And like he was reinstated at some point, but so it wasn't really banned for life. Wasn't banned for life, but I think that he never really came back to prominence. But I think it really what it did was it set the stage for the fact that they, you know, you're not going to tell Big Bill what to do. And you know, in that in that first race at Talladega, there when the drivers tried to say that the the, the tires there was a controversy with tires that they were not safe. And there was a boycott. He went out and got all these other race car drivers from the lower divisions and put the race together anyways and ran the race. And Richard Brickhouse won. And it was his first and only win. Oh, my goodness. But he said, you guys aren't going to tell me what to do. I'll do it with or without you. So, I mean, they set a precedent very early for what would be NASCAR. So the thing that, you know, I think you look at all the things that have happened over the years and, you know, that was the sixties, you know, and I came into racing in the late seventies and early eighties, you know, and was seeing it there and, you know, it wasn't all that far removed, you know, and you, you would always hear of certain things. You'd watch races and, you know, people, you're always going to have guys that become the spokesmen for the sport. There's always going to be a mouthpiece. There's always going to be a mouthpiece. And, uh, you know, those are the things that I remember, you know, when I was in the infancy of my career, listening to and being, you know, 
and thriving on was, you know, the, the, the controversies of things, you know, the guys talking, you know, the animosity between drivers and the rivalries and all that. So that's what really does fuel the excitement level and the emotion, the passion for the sport. Well, sure. So, but through all of this, the one thing that I guess I've been involved in it, I've obviously been in racing at the times when there was a lot of controversy about the cautions. That was the one big thing that always was, you know, always that they were throwing cautions for debris. They were throwing cautions for whatever they thought was unsafe. The like the infamous water bottle. Yeah, the water <laughs> bottle. You know, the racetrack coming apart a little bit or, you know, a chunk of a racetrack coming apart. But it would always come at, you know, opportune times. For particular for drivers. For particular drivers or for, you know, resetting the field and bunching them up so that there would be a more entertaining race. And I think, you know, if you look at it from both sides of the fence, you you look at this is an entertainment business. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, if the fans aren't intrigued, if the fans aren't enthralled, they don't come. Well, and from a TV standpoint, it's really boring if it goes long, long greens. Yes. And any time that you would have disparity in the, in the, which we've always had disparity in NASCAR, it's just to the level or the degree of it. And I guess the emphasis that was put on it, you know, in the beginning, you know, they didn't really look at it that much. You know, there was certain guys that were winning all the races, you know, via the 200 wins for Richard Petty and, you know, and on down the line. But it was, you know, uh, the good old boys out there running hard and, you know, they're always passing somebody. And, but the commentators did a good job going back and talking about the other teams and the other drivers. And there always was something else going on that was part of the story, which has diminished greatly over the years. Absolutely. And you know, looking at your old VHS tapes, the commentators back then definitely talked about the mid pack and the backpack and the TV viewed, you know, kind of you know, scanned back there as well, where you don't see that hardly at all. Uh, Economaki, was that one of the commentators? Economaki. yes. He, he had a very telltale voice, kind of like Howard Cosell voice. You, you know it's him when he's talking. And um, he definitely talked about everyone. Well, I think that was what, if you looked at the, the platforms back then with ESPN and you had, you know, you had guys that Eli Gold and, you know, a lot of the different guys that talked about racing they did. They went back and they, you know, you would actually see it where they would, they would pan back. They run to the rundowns through the field. They talk about a race going on within a race. They talk about, you know, some of the things that were happening and the reasoning for happening. And it, was, it really just bring more interest into the sport and all the other drivers and teams and sponsors that were out there. So, well, and your driver's always on the field. That's the greatest thing about NASCAR and auto sports you know, in general. And what I would say in my presentations for sponsorship is there is no other sport, but this where your team is always on the field. You've always, every Sunday, got your guy that you're cheering for or your girl that you're cheering for every single week. And that's not the same with, you know, some teams, you know, if you're looking at football or basketball, you know, a lot of times, you know, say a Monday night or a Sunday night football game, the two teams, we really have no dog in the hunt. We don't really care. But in NASCAR, you always have your driver out there. So you do want them mentioned. You do want to at least see them uh, and not just for a wreck. 
that's what we'd always tell the sponsors, hey, there's no, you know, um, great loss without some gain if you if you wreck your at least on TV, right? But I do think it definitely has been lost. And just in the, you know, short time that I've been in the sport. Over the years, there's always been drivers that are outspoken and that would call NASCAR out on some of these, you know, cautions. I mean, I remember Matt Kenseth, you know, who was very soft-spoken, never really said a lot anyways, right? But he always always would say something about these entertainment cautions, you know, know, (laughs) they're coming up, you know? And then you always had, you know, the the major mouthpiece at that time, you know, who was everybody listened to, I think, was, was Tony Stewart. And Tony Stewart was very vocal, always was. And he was, the one thing I think that if you, you know, you look at what Tony's good or bad, whether you like him or you don't, the one thing he always did was kind of was like the the next AJ Foyt. He was going to tell it like it was in his opinion, and he, by God, he had an opinion all the time. But you know, you know, in I think it was two thousand and seven. I think he he had this he had this radio show on Sirius Satellite Radio, and he actually on on the air said that this is like it's like playing God with the races. So he was saying you know, that NASCAR was playing God, that they were managing the races, controlling the outcome of these races and manipulating the outcomes to suit them. Well, and you're actually altering history because you're making winners that wouldn't necessarily win had it not been for those cautions. So those are the things that the foundation of racing have been, you know, laid upon. The fact that this was a, this was a sport, it came of age, it finally got its notoriety through television and then the escalation of an influx of all kinds of very prominent sports figures and wealthy individuals coming in and taking the sport to another level. And, you know, it, is it, was it right or was it wrong? And I think that that's always been one controversy uh, about it. And, you know, I think that, you know, when you're in it, and you're racing in it, you know, you feel like that you still control it for the most part, you know, and, you know, you think you do, but when it, it, when it happens to you, (laughs) you just think you do, you just think you do. It's kind of a (laughs) false sense because when you're in that position and you are about to win, maybe it's your first win or it's a, a, you know, a, a dominating deal that you had. And then all of a sudden it physically happens to you. It resonates very quickly that you don't control this. Right. There's always, and if you look at the races these days, right, that's what you go back and they build tendencies on. That's what all the data is about. You go back and you start looking at the tendencies in races. You build these tendencies because they happened frequently. And you always could say the last five or the last 10, the last mm-hmm. 15 laps, there'll be a caution. Why? And, yeah. and Larry you, Mack always. You know, Larry Mack, right? Very, very much the, the, the guy that goes back and looks at all those things. and. You could really, if you really got really infinite about it, you'd probably start to realize just what those cautions were and what they were for and how long they lasted. You would really start to see trends or t- tendencies. And that's how you would have to start looking at the races, which they did. So it was just, it's just a unique way that you see and view the race over the years and how they change. And you ultimately will see change because you look at the world, everything changes. I mean, we didn't have, social media. We didn't have cell phones in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. We had nothing. So, 
here we are. Um, you know, it's a, I mean, you're at a point where, uh, you don't, you don't really know, you know, what to do and where to go with these things. And racing now is at a point where the years have changed. The sport has got way more notoriety. You have way more opportunity for television. There's a lot of things happening in the sport now that are dictating change. Well, and the drivers are going to change as well. Uh, you say they don't really know what to do. You're one of the very few that have actually driven in, was, is it four decades? You actually set a, some yeah, type of 80s, record that you, you 90s, actually. 80s have, through the 2000. Yeah, line. you've, you've been, you've five literally decades. started cup race in five different decades. I mean, very few drivers do that. So these young kids, this is all they know. And, you know, they have absolutely no relevancy to what was going on in the 80s and 90s. So, yes, it changes from a viewership standpoint, you know, especially the old fans out there. You know, the listeners are probably listening to this, you know, or people that have watched you race and they're still watching NASCAR today. So I think it's just um, put it into perspective. I think something when you talk about change, right, you talk about, you know, and I speak to them, I guess, because I was there involved in it for the 80s and the 90s and I was and I was very intrigued with the sport. I was a student of the sport. I loved the history of the sport, the the characters and the drivers and the crew chiefs. I had a lot of respect for everybody that had, you know, was was participating and, you know, had really been instrumental in the sports growth. But, you know, at that at the time that, you know, we talk about um there's a, there was a change in a a monopolistic aspect of things within the sport that they were creating money. There was creating a lot of money. And these things, I think NASCAR took this, this approach because I think if you look at it, one thing that, you know, companies could never have, and that was a, like a complete monopoly. You know, you had a company that's against the law, you can't monopolize something. Well, in all reality, NASCAR probably was one of the biggest monopolies as a business. Yes, of course. And they had this, you know, aspect of wanting, wanting more. And when the drivers and, you know, the teams were getting notoriety and creating a brand and creating an image, and there's a lot of excitement around them, then there was a lot of opportunity in merchandising, you know, all the swag, all the trinkets, all the in-store, you know, die casts, action figures. I mean, we always, I always said, you know, you really made it when you got an action figure, right? And <laughs> well, those of your era in yes, the early nineties have early action 90s, figures. We have action figures, so you <laughs> kind of looked at that as a kid. You're like, man, you got an action figure, baby. You are somebody, right? You made it, and uh, so, but all these things. I mean, it was just, you know, incredible the amount of things that went into making and building and creating, and then merchandising, getting distribution for, and then you know the royalties that would come along with those things. So you were able to utilize your brand, utilize your name. You were making money off of them we personally. We were making money personally off of those things. And NASCAR, they obviously realized this and they saw this. And you had trailers out there with all your merchandise and they weren't getting a piece of that action. And that soon changed. They wanted, they wanted more. And you know, you look at all the racetracks that were owned privately throughout the years. NASCAR started going in and 
getting buying racetracks. They were wanting to have every aspect under their thumb to the point even where like when somebody would build a new racetrack like Nashville Speedway, they would allude to them that they would have a NASCAR date, right? They go through all the, I mean, all the things that they got to do, go through within the communities and the, in the counties and all the things. To all get the permits. These, all the permits, all stuff to get this racetrack, the funding to get it built, right? And get it come. And they say, build it and we will come. Then you don't come. And then it's a stalemate. And then you basically starve them to death. And you come with an Xfinity show or a Nationwide show or a Bush Series show. And then eventually maybe a truck series race or modified. But you're not giving them the big show. So they're dying on the vine. And then ultimately what, what happens? They swoop in. And, and they, they say, buy we'll it. buy it. We'll, we'll buy it from you. So, you know, that was the MO for a long time. And, you know, really sad for a lot of the people that were going through those processes and putting great, you know, dynamic facilities together, but, you know, they weren't willing to go change the, the types of racetracks that they wanted to run. They weren't wanting to go to certain venues. They had their own thoughts, but they really want, they had a plan and they wanted to be there, but they wanted it in their own control. Mm -hmm. And then you had Bruton Smith. And he and his racetracks, you know, they had Charlotte, you know, and Charlotte Motor Speedway. And then they continued to buy racetracks. Ends up buying Bob Bear's, Bob Bear, one of the greatest promoters that took care of the racers in New Hampshire. Would physically, when you went up there, if something happened and you didn't make the race, he would pay you $20,000. Really? Yes. Wow. Got $20,000. He just wanted a lot of attempts. He wanted he, everyone to come up and try. He wanted people to come and be there and support the racetrack and be part of the deal. But he took care of the racer. So wow, I've never heard that. Race, we got paid money. So it was a guy that you, you wanted to go up there and race for. You know, he was paying good purses on his own. And you want to take care of a guy like that, you know? And then... Bruton Smith ends up buying that racetrack. You know, Bob got up in age, right? And uh, ends up buying that, that date for another racetrack and buys that. And then he uses that date to go somewhere else. Then eventually they go back. But it's just, it was a chess match, right? Sideway moves, you know, straight ahead moves, trying to take the, you know, take the king and the queen and off you go, right? So bottom line, that's how the, a lot of controversy, you know, in NASCAR you know, being this, you know, entity that's coming out there and pillaging. <laughs> I right. mean, just, you know, going through the lands and pillaging, right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, so it was kind of a, a strange... They're, they're the England and yes. for the Scotland and the Welsh and the Irish. Correct. Yes. And, you know, to go to this, you know, and you think about this, right? So we talk about the benevolent dictatorship. Well, that's how it begins. Well, that's a very contradicting term. Because benevolent means kind, sure, generous, and unassuming, yeah. and maybe unassuming, laying yes. in the weeds, maybe and yeah. peering out, and here we come. Yeah, kind right? of just like when I think benevolent, I think it, um, him ha, wish washy, just just kind of benign, you know, not not really here nor there, right. you know. But I think that they are trying to create perception that they're doing all the great things for everybody, but in all reality, they have a plan, and that is to rule the world and to pull, and you know, to basically dictate how and what you're going to do in this sandbox. And that's, that's the way it always has been. And you look at it from the standpoint, it's like, well, what do I do? I'm a professional race car driver, and I either play the game and do it the way they want to do it or not play at all. So yeah. 
those are your choices. Yep, and right? we were in that situation. And we've been in that situation ourselves, right? But you look at some of the things that happened over the years, and I don't know if people really remember it because when you're in the middle of it, things happen, but you don't really always know why they happen. You think about why, well, for instance, there was a cancellation of a TV show that, if you remember, do you remember Speed Channel? Yes. Yeah. Well, all things speed, right? Mm-hmm. They talked about, it was a great, <clears throat> I thought it was great because yeah. it covered everything. I and loved it. you got it. a lot of information. There was a lot, and you needed a go-to place to understand what's going on and get the inside stories. At one time in the, you know, in the 80s and 90s, all we had was Speedway Scene, a newspaper. And it was great. But. And Pit Pass. And Pit Pass. The magazine. So that's all you had. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, so this happens and then all of a sudden, uh, the show is canceled and you're like, that's a network that's canceled. Why? Yeah. Right. Well, they wanted it. They wanted it gone because it was, you know, detrimental, detrimental to NASCAR. So they found a way to end it. And you're talking about, you know, uh, a pretty major happening. Yeah, that was a major network. And that just starts to show you the leverage that they had. And the people, you know, I mean, they had a full-time lobbyist in D.C. So they got people up there lobbying for what they need with the right groups that they need. And at that time, it was a Republican affair. And, you know, who knows what it is now. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying, yeah, hard to tell hard what it to is tell now. what it is now, like a lot of things, <laughs> but in my opinion, but you know, you look at all those things, you know, and you think about the other thing, other side of that, the uh, creation of rules on a whim. That's always been a major deal with NASCAR and a very controversial subject for racers, crew chiefs and team owners alike. You heard it all the time. Yes. Like what, what is this? Where's this coming from? Mm-hmm. And they would implement a rule immediately, right? And for what reason, right? Well, you look at the rule, the situation that they were in, in, in back then was they didn't have the qualified personnel that could like, you know, this is true. maintain the rules and, you know, to, you know, keep the parity or keep them on a, a straight and narrow line. So they were more reactive, you know, to things then because when always been reactive and not they've preventative. Always, they always have been. They always have been because they've just always lacked, I think, the depth to. I think it's the monitor it. It is. It's all well. Everything's about people. It is. It always is. Right. So if you think about it, if all the great race teams and all the great minds uh, are in the sport are working for these race teams, then you are at a very detrimental position because they're out thinking you. And they're outsmarting you mm-hmm. on a weekly basis. And now they have a lot of money. They have a lot of influx of money coming in there to circumvent these rules that you implement. And then at that time, a lot of people, you know, you realize that they were having the teams build the cars and the templates, you know, and they would go to junior or they go to somebody to do it. And then they would build it the way they wanted to build it for their own advantage. And then come in the red and say <laughs> this, and the next guy go puts his car out there. Don't fit the template. And they say, well, mine's a stock car. How does it not fit this template? Well, well, that's the kind it's of kind, I've always happen. said they, they use the teams for their research and development. They do. And they always have until now. So, you know, you start looking at all the things, um, you know, that have 
come about? You know, the penalizing of drivers. There was not a lot of penalizing. It was small things, right? There was things that they, you know. And it had to be a pretty major ordeal it had to, to be, get penalized. And I remember when Carl Long, when he got caught with that big motor and he didn't know it. He had bought a motor and it was like, like the, the, the cubic inches was just a little bit over the, the bore was, you know, been out, you know, had been run a lot and ends up, they tear him down and they, I mean, they, I think they, it was $300,000 fine or something like that. And then basically he had to be out of the money to pay that. So he couldn't even race for a while. So they've done things to set a precedent, but they set a precedent with somebody that really had no ability to actually even step up and, you know, come back and participate who was making a living at it. Right. You know, so it made a scapegoat of somebody that really was, you know, in no way just trying to just show up and right. be a part. Well, and in their the mind, sport. irrelevant. Yeah. In their mind, irrelevant. But they wanted to set a, to set a precedent and they use people as a scapegoat. And mm -hmm. they always have. Yes. Um, but unfortunately, you know, you know, they could do it more because there was, there's less, I guess, retribution. You know, they had, there, people had less recourse towards them or there was less opportunities for press or bad press or good press. So things have a way of escalating through the years and changing the perspective and then the emphasis on what you can and cannot do. So in my opinion, you know, time has been the biggest thing that has changed the sport so much. So you start talking about, you know, uh, drivers and, you know, where we're at now and where NASCAR is. And you think about, okay, you know, we have so much that has been, you know, th that has changed in the world. And, you know, you had social media becoming a major player and everyone having a voice. And then things happen in the world that change the, change the world, change the way that people are being, you know, viewed, the way that people are being talked about, terms that are be, have been used in the past. You know, you talk about all of the historical monuments and all the things that are happening in the world. And all in all, everything is being, is subject to scrutiny. Everything. And punishment. And punishment. Everything. Which is, sometimes is for good. Absolutely. Yes. But what I'm saying is that is just a given fact. Yes. That, that that kind of, you know, one moment in time can alter a great deal. Absolutely. So you think about that. So every conscious decision that is made, every conscious, you know, act that is done can alter history forever. So it, I've always said, I really like to think about what you do and what you say, because you don't ever know who's listening. I just heard about that in, in church this morning, that you're only one decision away from a different future. And it's so true because the people that you meet, and like you always say, do you choose to engage or not to engage? And that's in anything, in a career, in a relationship, in, in everything you do in your life, decisions will completely alter your future and <clears throat> your children's futures because you won't be in a certain place at a certain time because of a decision that you made. Children wouldn't be born. Uh, it is actually, you start to think about it, it's, it's quite impactful. I've always said in a lot of my speeches that, you know, we're talking to sales forces and people, your decision is just not your own decision and it only reflects on you. 
every time you do something or say something, a lot of times it reflects on the people next to you, your coworkers, the people around you, your business partners. So you have a responsibility to make up your own minds on things and your stances and, you know, and understand that just because you want something or do something, decide to go do something, it just, it doesn't alter somebody else's, you know, situation. It, it might alter somebody else's. It might be else's. impactful somebody yeah. else's situation and in fact you think about like you said the things that have happened in the in the world they have been very impactful on everybody and i know that even in nascar right you know it has been you know a sport that you know never really had a lot of outside influence on it until then and now i mean just being able you know the, the processes that were put in place the types of, you know, functions and um, preparation and understanding for, you know, what the world was going through was filtering down to all of us in NASCAR because we had a major platform mm -hmm. and we had to be able to be well-versed in, you know, who are you, what are you saying, and how is it being perceived? And what are you standing and for? And what are you standing for? Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, we talked about how things have changed and that has been the biggest change uh, that has you know changed the way that nascar does business yes i think nascar is always you know especially when you first started in its own little bubble um and did not get involved or even care about what was happening politically or any type of social climate and um that's what has changed i think because you say social media can be very detrimental or very positive to a sport and definitely to the athletes themselves. So for your own business building capabilities, you do have to pay attention to that, whether or not you like it or not. Unfortunately, I think that's the one thing is, you know, you can take a stance, but is that stance going to be so disruptive if you air it, you know, all of a sudden, the backlash can be extreme. Absolutely. So you start thinking about what you can and what you cannot say. Well, you can, you can you or can. can't all day long, but it's going to have a direct hit on you. Correct. And whether it is for good or for bad, you better be prepared. So, I mean, I, I believe everyone needs to have their integrity and you do need to stand up morally and ethically for what you believe in. But if you have a specific opinion that is not a, you know, life or death opinion or something that is moral or ethical, a lot of times, you know, unless it's something that, you know, hey, we're talking about on the podcast, <laughs> you can air it. But if it's something that's going to impact you, it definitely has far more reaching um, fingers than it ever has before. And of course, kids coming up in this time frame, they have known nothing else. Whereas we have seen the world change immensely in being able to say or not say what you think. Yeah, it's just the norm for them. I mean, and if you think about how young most of these race car drivers, you know, male and female are today, they only know from a certain time frame, 14 to, you know, you know, what, 16, 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, you 
know, so you look at that span of how much has changed. Yeah, you're not going to remember anything from the time you were a baby to the time you were like first grade. But after that, you kind of, you know, take notice of what's going on in the world. And, you know, of course, you know, hopefully parents have taught them um, what has happened in years prior and will bring up discussion. But I think that's also becoming kind of a thing of the past, unfortunately, that parents don't really pass down the the things that have really molded history. And uh, I was just talking the other day to a girl who's not that much younger than me about Winston Churchill, and she did not know who that was. And I said, he's one of the greatest orators of our, of our time. And then I had to remember, well, it's not her time. And it really wasn't even my time. But I certainly remember the quotes and the, the, the dynamic impact he had um, on uh, Great Britain and the world. But it's something that is, unfortunately, it's, it's very dismal. And this age of just learning on computers has definitely not helped because teachers are not able to actually go into depth on, this is what happened. And now I think it's very skewed. There's, I think education has definitely got some hidden agendas. Well, when you talk about skewed views, I think this is a perfect segue to the fact that, you know, again, I have, I was told at an early age by my father, same thing. And I listened to my elders and my dad was, you know, the person that I listened to. And I felt like that I needed to, because he had, you know, a wealth of knowledge and he'd been there and he, you know, everything he said has really come to fruition for me. And he has said, just, you know, don't pay attention to the media so much, you know, like the news and things like that, because it is, in his opinion, was skewed. And it was basically had its own agendas. And you really can't base your own thoughts or life decisions on what people are telling you. You got to physically make them on your own. Do your own research. Get your own views, and you know, or, or ask a trusted, or ask a trusted family member. To ask your parents. And that's yeah. what I've always told my daughters: don't go off half cocked after you hear something at school. Come back home and discuss it with us. And that's the hard thing: is our kids are being molded by everyone else's opinions and influence. And if you're not having dinner time discussions with your kids, then shame on you because. If you don't have influence on them, somebody else is going to. And so don't be crying when they have completely different views than you do. Well, and you look at like the commentators in NASCAR, and that was what I was leading toward the parallels for, is that, you know, so much is, you know, skewed and misrepresented because of certain things that are put before you or, you know, implemented in your I guess, dialogue or the way you're going to present certain things on television and everything else uh, based on a lot of variables. So when you're watching a race and you listen to drivers talk about the wrecks or talk about getting wrecked and you listen to what they say and how, you know, how much difference there is and how people will convey what happened and how their distaste for it was. You know, and I always said you can't put three race car drivers together or three car owners and come up with the same story. So <laughs> that happens with the commentators as well. <clears throat> so you think you look at it, you have a wreck and you got these kids getting out and just laying it out there that, you know, how wronged they were. Right. Right. And that it, they did nothing wrong. But there I have respect for those kids that say, look at actually look at the camera shot and say, oh, yep, that was my bad. And I immediately like that driver and I take note like 
He's humble enough to admit where he's wrong. And then likewise, listen to a driver the other night in the truck series. And he looked at, looked at it and we had just analyzed it. And everyone knew that he had caused it. He completely caused it. Block, 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 caused it. And he looks at it and said, oh, yep. I just I, hooked me. I, he hooked me. And, <laughs> and, and then, and I'm going to remember that. And you're just thinking, wow, you totally missed a learning opportunity there, buddy. And you got enough ass you know, to go over <laughs> and have a, you know, remembering that too, too much, too long. So, but, and then the commentary, right? You got these guys and, you know, I know them all. And you listen to the way that they broach the subject and have to make a discussion or an opinion or, you know, their whole job is to convey to the audience what they saw and what, and the reasoning behind it. But don't you think they're not saying what they think anymore? Yes, they're supposed to commentate, but what happened to the days of actually saying their opinion? I think this is what happened. Or I think he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or, oh, he got collected. That wasn't his fault. I mean, everyone, I mean, there's three of them. So they can all have differing opinions. And of course, they do have a lot of influence on, you know, fans that don't have a, enough experience or on the ignorant fan that would be like, oh, I'm just going to take exactly what the commentators say at face value. But I don't think they're saying what they think. And especially when it's blatant what happened there and they're smoothing it over. It's almost like they're being ambiguous and it's very irritating. Well. First of all, they are supposed to be the experts. When they introduce exactly. them, they're the Winston Cup or the you know a champion. They're the mm -hmm. uh, you know Xfinity champion. They've won races. They've been a Hall of Famer. They're so you're putting credibility in what they're saying and what they're doing, exactly. and yet they won't tell you their opinion and say and call a spade a spade. And don't you think they want to? Oh, they want to. And they I want and you to. and you hear it. They oh, want yeah. to say their opinion. The vacillation in their voices and the inflections and the hedging of yes. what they really want to say. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes they just want to come out and just say, holy crap, what an idiot. You know, I mean, this guy, <laughs> what, I mean, that was the biggest, you know, bonehead move, you know, and you know what, exactly. maybe he'll learn from that, but I doubt it. I don't know. You would think that that's what needs to get said. And right? of course they can say it a little bit more eloquently, but I've heard even you, I mean, when you commentated, you were able to say, you know, your opinion. And you did. You were able to say, you know, with authority and with credibility, I don't think that that was a good move. And well, he's going to look back on that and wish he didn't. When you've driven a race car for that long, you understand the air. You understand how the air spills off cars. You understand about the disparity in what cars, maybe what works for a car and what doesn't, and what series you're in. And you can look at a situation and you can put yourself physically in that position and you can see they have in-car cameras now you know they got the helmet by through the driver's helmet visor there's so many aspects and elements now and dimensions that you have available to you to be able to look at it and you can say i can put yourself right in that thing and say yes that was not that guy's fault that was this guy's fault and you know that's what people really want to hear right but there has been I can tell you countless times that people have said that, you know, when those guys are up there calling a race, there has been instances when the guys from NASCAR have walked down the hall and opened the door and stuck their head in and said, knock it off. <laughs> now, I can so totally see can that. Can you see that? Can you just see it? I mean, here you are, right? I can. You're, in a, you're in a broadcast and then here comes a guy and he pokes his head and looks at you and goes, knock it off. Right? That's not what we want to have heard. So. There comes the dictatorship 
maybe not so benevolent, but at that <laughs> point in time, but they're coming down and just saying in no uncertain terms, knock it off. We know what we want said and we know what we don't That's want said. Actions detrimental to NASCAR. Yes. And you hear it now in the podcasts of Denny yes. Hamlin and all the things going on and, you know, ah, blah, 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 right? Here it is. And you know what? Yeah, we're, we're talking about it. And that's just, and that's my view because you hear somebody, you've been in the sport this long, you're going to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you know, it really is part of the sport. And you know, and, and I honestly don't think they, they, they don't really care. They don't make no bones. Well, about it. I, I always compare this to the NFL because that's the other sport that, that I really watch a lot and totally understand. Um, like Chris Collingsworth, he'll actually say when he thinks the penalty was wrong. I don't agree with that penalty. I think that ref was wrong. I think that that this is going to alter the game, and that's unfortunate. And then maybe the other commentator will be like, "No, I disagree with you there, Chris. I think that that was the right call." That I think is fine. You're not you're not condemning. You're not insulting. You're saying what you think, how you see it. As a former football player, this is how I called it, and whether or not that's the way the ref saw it, you know. That's okay. In my opinion, at the levels of sport that we are in and talking about, you have to be held accountable. Mm -hmm. There's reasons for why you're here. There's reasons why they have you in the booth doing this, right? And I, I get it. The network has a responsibility. NASCAR has a responsibility. The drivers, the teams, they, they all have responsibility. But you know what? You have a responsibility if you're calling a show for the general public, right? That's on television. And you are being named the Hall of Famer, the reason why you have all this credibility to be up there talking about it. By God, you better be talking about it mm -hmm. and tell them what you really think and feel by what your experience has the direct related uh, response to. And, and we want to know. And they want to know. We right? want to know how you feel. You know, I have my own I Most of the time, I see it happen. And I always, I say right then and there, this is what, in my opinion, this is what happened. Yep. And you say, and then all of a sudden, somebody else will say something else. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty blatant. You can see that, you know, but. Because you've done it so much. You know, anytime you do something repetitiously, uh, repetitiously like that, it becomes instinctive. And that's what I always talk about to race car drivers and coaching and mentoring and all that. It has to get to the point where you don't think about it. It's just instinctive, right? And there is too much thinking going on yes. and not instinctively just telling you and relaying what transpired so that you have a, you give perspective and it is all about perspective. It certainly is. And that's totally why they're agree. there, right? Yep. So talking about perspective, let's get on to a, probably the last point that we have time for today, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the real current things that are going on with regard to extracurricular activities for the race car drivers. And them getting hurt and because them getting of them. Hurt. And then out of the car for weeks and weeks. So talking about a couple of things, twofold, right? First of all, we talked about responsibility, in my opinion. Secondly, you start talking about the value that you are as a commodity right? You have a responsibility to a lot of people. When people pay, you are a professional race car driver. And a very highly paid one. Right. So now you are a brand ambassador. You have multiple brands. You know, nowadays you didn't just have one sponsor. You have a multitude of sponsors that are coming on sporadically throughout the year to fund your effort and give you the opportunity to showcase your potential. And you want to be out snowboarding? And you want to be out driving a sprint car on a, on a weeknight or a week off deal or something, and you break a vertebrae or you bust your leg, 
And now with the scrutiny that NASCAR has as far as all the things that happen to you when you get hurt and your inability to make choices for yourself, they're made for you, the more you have to have a better choice, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. And I'm sorry, I like Bill Elliott and I like Chase Elliott and you know, I, I think that Alex Bowman's a talented he, young he race is, car and he, and driver, he's a nice right? driver. And he's a nice guy, he's, you know, and, and, and well-deserved for what he's accomplished. But you know what? Like I said, my job here is to tell you what my opinion is, to tell you, if you're listening, <laughs> right, what I think. And the bottom line is I think it's unacceptable behavior. I would have to agree because I feel that if you're being paid to do a job, then the things that you participate in outside, your extracurricular activities should be ones that are not going to endanger what you're in. It's, you know, and it's that way for any career that you choose. If I was a singer, I'm not going to be smoking or putting myself in situations where I could lose my voice or get a hoarse voice, you know, even staying up late at night or not drinking enough water. You know, those are things that you just take into consideration. And I think because kids have grown up in this environment of they can do everything. There's just nothing that's off limits to them. They're entitled. They have the money to do anything they really want to do. Right. But I think it does come down to, and it might not be, I mean, they have already made, you know, a very lucrative living. So it maybe it might not be so much about the money, but the responsibility, like you said, that they have to their team. The people. And the people they, think and about the sponsors. It. Think about how many people are in these organizations. These are major companies. And there's a lot of people riding on what you do. Mm-hmm. And they have bonuses involved. There's a lot of big bonus programs, incentive programs for these crew mm-hmm. people and these guys doing all this stuff. When you win races or you do well, and then you're in the championship, there's another bonus the sponsor pays for you to maybe make the playoffs. And then all of a sudden you go and do something detrimental to this opportunity, this effort, right? And then basically takes money out of their pockets that they've been in a position. They still got to pay you. You got a contract. So it's just my view that I think there needs to be something. I think the owners, first of all, got to get a set of balls here and then get her to stand up and say, you know what? This ain't happening. I mean, you listen to Wally, Rusty Wallace talk about it at Dover that he said he wanted to tell Roger Penske that he was going to do something. And he said, Roger said, no way you're not doing that. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yes, sir. Well, just take somebody like that to say, you know what? Enough's enough. Right. We're not doing that. Put it in your contract or we're going to make an addendum to your contract. And if you don't want an addendum to your contract, guess what? I'll pay your contract out. Find somebody else to do this. That's the kind of thing that has to happen. Wow, you're getting a little fired up here, these babe. Guys, these guys cannot do this. You know what? And again, I mean, these are significant injuries. Yes. I mean, before when we had an injury and we were broken up, I did everything I could do to get back into the race car, much to the detriment of my body and what I was doing and probably... Maybe, maybe a few of the other drivers, but <laughs> Bob Mon, I had, I didn't want to be out of the car. I didn't care about anything but else that, and I didn't do anything. You're else. not allowed to do that anymore. No. You, you, you know, you had broken ribs, broken sternum, broken leg. You're still getting back in the car. You know, just like you see, you know, the injuries that like Davey Allison had and Ricky Rudd, but they allowed them to get back in the car. That's no. not even going to be an allowance anymore. So I think that's what's changed as well is. Yeah, you can injure yourself and get back in the car. Nope, you can't anymore. So even a minor injury. Now, these were major injuries, yeah. you know. Um, and it's different if you get injured in the car, you know, when Kyle Busch broke his leg or, you know, others. And we've, you know, we've talked a little bit about that. You know, that's going to be in concussions. That's par for the course. You're going to get those. So well, 
like I said, we could, this is a subject that we could go on and on about. You Interested know? in what the listeners say yeah, and maybe absolutely. we'll get some feedback on yeah, this. Because I think, uh, you know, times have changed, but certainly, you know, they want to see, you know, they want to see the stars and they want to see them out there. And so sometimes I think you have to make good conscious decisions, you know, to take care of your livelihood for other people as well. So other not people. be quite as selfish. In exactly. My I totally but, agree. It all comes down to that. With that, we're gonna uh, we're gonna probably call this a, a day, and um, we'll uh, you know talk about some exciting things that are coming up here in the future uh, with our racing uh, program and some things with race theories. So, but we're gonna say ta-ta enough, for enough. now. Exactly right. Thanks so much <laughs> for listening, and we will be back next time. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at DerekCope00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.